Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Pat Donahue couldn't be with us this week, but I got Mike Popovic here to help me break everything down. Unfortunately, not a great time to be a fan of Maryland football or men's basketball. Uh, Football team has lost five of their last six. Basketball team we thought was going to be good this year, and they've lost three of their first four, two of them being really bad losses to Davidson and UAB. We're going to start with basketball simply because we want to end on a little bit of a positive, and I think there's a little bit more positive to talk about with football right now. But Mike, just generally with this basketball program, we've seen, as I mentioned, two losses to Davidson and UAB after they won their season opener against Mount St. Mary's. Then they go to Villanova and get absolutely shellacked. Least number of points that a Maryland team has scored in the shot clock era. So just generally, what have you seen from this team? And what are the reasons that you think they're struggling so badly? Because We've talked about it the last few times we've recorded, both with you and with Pat. They've got Jameer Young, Julian Reese, and Dante Scott back from last year's team, and yet it seems like they're playing so much more poorly than they were last year. Yeah, there seems to be a chemistry issue to an extent when you can't shoot from deep and teams can pack it in. That makes it awfully tough to be able to operate inside the paint and score with higher percentage shots with, uh, with the two. And there seems to be not a lot of great um, movement and or ball movement at times as well. Uh, So when you add that up, uh, that makes it awfully difficult. And then that affected the defense on Friday where the defense had been fairly solid in the first three games, despite the offensive issues, the Villanova game, uh, the defense had issues there as well. And you'd like to think that having a trio of uh, Young and Scott and uh, Reese back that that's a good place to start. Although, let's be fair, last year, Scott really faded offensively down the stretch. We talked about needing to add more to his repertoire, and and that hasn't happened. Also, I know not uh, in getting to the free throw line, that's been an issue as well. But again, when teams are packing it in, it's tougher to get that because you're not shooting it well from outside. Teams are going to pack it in, and it's tougher to get those opportunities of drawing fouls when – um, you don't necessarily have the space and, and a little bit more of the one-on-one to maybe expose uh, a defensive player in a matchup there. Um, I, I think just generally, too, the thing that is concerning is that – and look, we still have another month of December to go in January. It is early, but it's also early for the teams that Maryland's played, and that's a fair argument to make, although every team's different. And, um, you know, this team does have, uh, you know, X amount of freshmen on the team that that uh, are being asked to play this year, some significant roles. Uh, but the fact that you go from that Sunday loss last week to UAB, you had four days of practice and then that shoot around Friday against. I don't know where that came from. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, th- there you go. It was muted and then it popped up out of nowhere. Um, but I think the issue was that you come off that UAB loss and then you have four days of practice 
to try to get things straight, and that's how you come out and play. It's one thing to lose that game but show signs of improvement. It's another thing to have four days of practice coming off the UAB loss and lose the way they did to Villanova. Obviously, it's a better opponent, but a lot of the issues reared its ugly head. I guess the only thing you could say that second half of the Villanova game, they outscored Villanova, but at that point, you know, I don't want to say those are garbage minutes because they're not, especially for the freshmen, but the game was in hand, well in hand. So how much can you really point and say that's that's an improvement there or something to build on? Uh, maybe a little bit, but I wouldn't take too much away from that. Yeah, and look, the sh- the shooting issues are, I think, are for me, are one thing. You know, we we expected to an extent this team to struggle, especially from deep. I don't know if we expected twenty one point six percent from three, which is just really bad. But I think the issue for me is there's. It seems like they're unprepared in every game. They've been unprepared for their opponents. What they've uh, what they've showed to Maryland, whether it's offensively or defensively, it looks like they lack energy on both ends of the court defensively we've seen lapses far too many particularly Dante Scott losing guys on the three-point line we saw it in Asheville in both games that's inexcusable for a guy of his level of experience Um, again we're not seeing energy on the offensive end when they get frustrated when the first set they run doesn't work everyone's standing around and it, it reminded me a lot of the issues that we saw in Mark Turgeon's offense which was very isolation heavy one pick and you're done and there was no, not very little movement off the ball by any of these guys, and it seems like they're falling into those same traps um, when they ha- when they can't have success. They're getting open looks from three and not knocking them down. Well, that's fine, but you need to manufacture offense in other ways, whether it's backdoor cuts or pounding the ball into Julian Reese, which I know they're taking away to an extent, but there are ways to get to the basket more creatively and get some easier buckets because if they're not, if the threes aren't knocking down then the quality of shots that they're taking other than threes are pretty bad to this point, shooting 37% from the field and only 69% from the free throw line, which is highlighted by Julian Reese, who in his what third year now still can't knock down more than 50% of his free throws. And he is getting fouled of all the guys on the team. He's getting fouled the most and he's not knocking down more than 54% of his free throws. So that's, that's bad. Um, I just don't think we've seen the progression that we wanted to see from this team. And there's been more regression than progression. The freshmen haven't played up to their billing yet. You can't write them off, obviously, but it's hard when you're relying on so much from those guys. And we talked about over the last couple of weeks how it was unclear where the three-point shooting was going to come from. And that was kind of the biggest question mark on this team. Dante Scott hasn't, Scott the, hasn't shot the ball consistently from three since his freshman year. Jameer Young is a decent three-point shooter, but can't be relied to do it all the time. He's not your go-to guy from three. So you're looking at Jamie Kaiser, a freshman, to be that guy. And while he might develop into that guy, he's not that guy yet. So that's what's difficult. For me, though, speaking about what's concerning, why is Jordan Geronimo shooting like three to five threes a game? That should never happen, no matter how wide open he is. So yeah, not- the decision making on the offensive end has been really suspect, and you 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 compound that defensively. And I know Kevin Willard said, you know, when the opposition is making all their shots, we can't set up our three point our full court press, and that's true. But the defense has been bad too, which has allowed too many easy buckets, which hasn't allowed you to set up that press. So, and when you're not making your shots, you can't set up the press. I get that. Again, make some higher quality shots and that that's fixed. 
nine uh, nine assists to fourteen turnovers per game. Also, at yeah. this point, the, yeah. none of the numbers are good. You can't. I mean, that's one thing you can't do is you can't compound it with turnovers. And you you know, defense is a little bit more controllable there uh, in terms of that aspect of it. You need to bring the defense every night. You need to minimize the turnovers. Uh, in terms of offensively, you know, how do you th- get things going? You know, one of the ways though is getting stops and then pushing the ball in transition and getting points that way. To your point about pounding it into Reese, even if they're collapsing, yes, that's true. Um, you, you do need to find ways to get him the ball in there and, and be able to to make something happen. Whether it's uh, you know quick, uh, excuse me, a quick pass into him and, and a quick turnaround jumper, uh, mid range jumper. Um, you know, whether it's uh, him uh, being able to to get a quick post and go that way, you know, once you start to settle in and well, while the defense is settling, that becomes tougher. So getting him a quick post look, you know, that's one way of doing it as well. Uh, but you're right, after the initial, it, it, on a set, if the initial play's not there, okay, what are we doing after that secondarily, tertiarily? That's, that's obviously, to your point, um, things that they have to do uh, to, to better help themselves out. And, yeah, I mean, three-point shooting. And, see, this is the thing that I don't get with this program. This has been an issue for years and years and years of them being able to have two consistent three-point shooters. And it seems like everybody else does. And I think the elite programs usually have at least two 40% shooters. But if the Terps could get one 40% shooter and, say, one 36% shooter that are both consistent night in and night out, you take that. And then maybe you have one or two other guys that could shoot, say, between you know 30 and, and 33. Again, that would be better. I think last year, Zach, when they started the year out rough as a team, they were anywhere – I think roughly they were about 30% from three. But you talked about right now, what, 24%? 21. 21. I'm sorry, 21. So, yeah. it's worse. so that's about a 10% drop. As they got better at year's end, I think as a team, they got up to around 34, 35. But no Ian Martinez, um, no uh, no Chance Stevens, uh, and then also no um, – uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the guy Hakeem that came Hart last year. Well, Hart, you're right. Hart transfers yeah. out. That's right. And then I'm thinking of the transfer from Emilian Georgetown last year. Oh, and, Don Carey. Don Carey, who who got hot at times last yeah. year. Obviously, Martinez down the stretch was really good. Carey had, you know, he he shot well at times, um, as did Hart. And you know, they got it together later. Um, but it, it, that has been, I think, in terms of recruiting, that's been an area of of. Um, that's been a problematic area, I should say, for a long, long time, and they still haven't seemed to be, to overcome that. And I guess final point on my end is, you know, it's interesting. Mark Turgeon being a former point guard at Kansas, I brought this up before, and yet he was a very defensive-oriented coach. You would have thought he would have been an offensive-oriented coach, and he really wasn't, and his offenses were pretty vanilla. I mean, it was, you know, the two-man game, the one-on-one um, he was good at times in terms of inbound sets, but other than that, um, there wasn't much creativity there. Kevin Willard is also actually a defensive guy, but last year I thought he did a good job offensively of calling sets, guys moving more um, you know, adjustments, and you didn't see as many of the offensive issues as you saw under Turgeon. So, uh, but I wonder though, ultimately, you know, is there a ceiling with? Willard in terms of coaching offensively he does have assistance on the team as well I I hope not um you know if you're a really heavy defensive coach then you need an assistant coach to help him offensively but that didn't seem to be an issue last year as much for them 
Um, but yeah, they're going to have to find ways to, to work out of that. Willard didn't forget how to coach overnight, but it's the way they're losing. It's one thing to lose. It's the way they're losing. And then that four game, that four day break in between UAB and Villanova, just disappointing the way that they came out and lost that game that badly. Again, a, a major step up in competition, but that Villanova team last year was subpar 500 though. Let's not forget that. Obviously they've made improvement. They're a very physical team as well. I'd rather all this happen now than later in the year, but let's see where these guys are come January 1st. Um, and obviously they've got games in between now and then, but let's see if they're hurting that badly. If they're hurting that badly by then, we're in real trouble. Um, but let's hope they could slowly but surely dig themselves out of it, beginning with UNBC on Tuesday night. And going back to the three-point shooting really quick, 35% is what Jimmy R. Young and Dante Scott are both shooting this season. Nobody else is above 20%. Yeah, It's bad. It's- Jordan Geronimo's shot multiple threes every game, hasn't hit one yet. He took like five against Villanova. I'd have to go to the box score. Well, I think that's someone just trying to make some plays, but if that's not your game, don't compound the issue of the rest of the team who can shoot threes not shooting well by you taking shots that aren't in your game. That just makes sense. Unless you're super late in the shot clock, and I don't believe any of those were. So not to harp on one guy because they've all got issues. Yeah, Yeah, no, you're right. You know, you definitely don't want to see that. Um, They only have four guys shooting, averaging above eight points. And I know Kevin Willard's talked about trying to find that fifth starter, but you need to find four that can actually play to their level because none of them are at this point. Yeah. So I, I don't know, too, and, and practice tells a lot of the tale of the tape. I'm hoping that these freshmen are coachable, that they're not going in with a one-and-done mentality and it's me, 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 I, 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 I. Because right now, if that is the case, well, it, it looks really bad on the floor and you're not going to help your cause or your brand uh, w- with the way the team's looking. I don't know that to be the case at all. And again, Coach Willard and these his staffs recruiting these guys. I don't think they would recruit guys that are coachable, um, no matter how many high star they are. But if that's an issue at all, I just get curious about that. If that's an issue at all, you know. Then then hopefully the way that they've looked over the first four or five games. Um, is a wake up call and, and they'll, they'll get an adjustment. But, you know, we'll ultimately uh, we'll ultimately see. But they really need that leadership from Young and Scott and uh, Reese to uh, to try to turn things around. And just going back to Willard's uh, offense for just a second, you know, when when he was hired, looking back at what he had done at Seton Hall, the offense definitely has remnants of that motion offense that Turgeon ran. Uh, there is a lot of two-man game, a lot of isolation, a lot of reliance on talent. But what separated Willard was the tempo, that his teams were always willing to push it in transition. They were typically a top 75 team in Ken Palm and adjusted tempo, one of the quicker-moving teams. They like to push the ball in transition. That hasn't happened since he's come to Maryland. They're one of the slowest teams in the country. I think they're even slower this year than they were last year. They're 345th in the country and adjusted tempo. I think they finished last year something like 320th. To me, that's unacceptable. Boy, it didn't feel that way. They would push it up the court and then get into their half-court set. There was very little transition offense that happened for Maryland last year. Now, to their credit, the half-court offense was working last year. They were executing it extremely well. So I get it. Don't don't fix what's, uh, what's not broken. But this year, this is broken. And Damon Evans talked about it when he hired Willard. They talked about it at the introductory press conference. We want to be a quick, fast-moving, exciting team. Where's that? 
where's that Kevin Willard? Because to this point, we haven't seen it. And at this point, you're looking at, well, the defense has had more lapses than you did under Turgeon, and the offense looks the same. So why did we make a change? Why did we spend all this money and go get this guy? You know? So that's the question that I'm having. And I'd like to see more transition, more, because that can mask a lot of your issues in the half-court offense. Look, you're not shooting the ball well from three, and they're packing it in defensively. All right, we'll push it up the court before they get settled defensively. That's the answer. And you have athletic guys on this team. Dante Scott playing the four. He's leaned down. He's fast enough. Jameer Young is extremely fast. Harris Smith, Kaiser, all these guys have the athleticism, even Julian Reese, to run the court. Why aren't you doing it? Right. So and that's remember, my question. No, it's fair. And last year, you saw a team that pressed a lot and uh, they got off to a really good start. They moved well in the half court, to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, offhand, and I'll certainly take your word for it, you know, about the – and you, the numbers are there, as you talked about with Kempom in terms of, you know, transition or the speed and, and all that. It, it, it didn't feel that slow, but but you're right. They at least pushed it up the floor, but transition points, how many of those were there? Obviously not as much as, as maybe even some of us perceived uh, that, that there were. Uh, but remember, he had come in wanting to shoot the three a lot last year, and I think we all on this podcast said – they don't have the talent to do that. That's not their strength. And so what do you do when you don't have a team that can shoot the three? Well, you have to you have to run good sets in the half court, but also transition buckets. So that's another way yeah. of combating the lack of three. Not that you can't shoot the threes to transition, but again, that's not their strength. So the point being, though, is, is that, again, this year, okay, you're struggling from three. How do you manufacture offense? What are other ways you could score? Well, getting stops, pushing the ball, getting transition buckets or drawing fouls, you know, in transition, that's the way to do it. So we're going to, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see for sure uh, what further adjustments and changes we're going to see out of this team. Um, You know, it's a little early, but I hear, I hear what you're saying, Zach, uh, about comparing, (laughs) uh, comparing Willard to the previous, uh, to the previous staff. Yeah, we shall, I guess we shall see with all that, but um Right now, again, I just the way that they're losing, that's yeah, that's tough to watch. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the other way to counteract not being able to shoot the ball well is getting stops defensively and setting up that press and forcing turnovers up the court. And again, to this point, they haven't played well enough defensively to be able to do that efficiently um, and regularly. So yeah. like you mentioned, UMBC, as we're recording this on Monday, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and then two more home games against South Alabama and Ryder before they head up to Indiana for the first of two quick non-conference games in the beginning of December. So Kevin Willard's complained about the schedule, which I get that every coach does, although when you're losing, it doesn't it doesn't come off that well. He's complained about that they haven't really had extended time at home. Well, you've got it now, so are the excuses gone, <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't think right now anybody uh, anybody wants to – Anybody wants to hear that, and and you got a lot of teams that are traveling around and playing and in tournaments and such. So, I, yeah. Now, I, I will say we've seen a number of upsets of top tier teams. Yeah. But again, that rings hollow with Maryland fans because of the way Maryland's been losing. You know, it's well, one- and one upset is better than two. Yeah. You know, to Davidson and UAB, like Michigan State losing to JMU, fine, but they've won all the rest of their games. You know, Villanova losing to Penn. Okay. Yeah. And you know, like but Michigan Maryland losing to Davidson and UAB, 
not great. And then getting blown out by Villanova. Yeah, Michigan had a couple of good wins, including St. John's in the Gavit games. And then they've they looked really by, good. They have, but they got beat by Long Beach yeah. uh, the other day at home. Uh, and right now, you know, Jawan Howard's not coaching that team because because of his heart condition. Uh, or his heart surgery, I should say, that he had. But uh, anyway, yeah. But again, it rings hollow when you're getting when you're getting your doors blown out by multiple opponents. It's 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 not competitive. And uh, yeah, no, I, I certainly agree. With yeah. So we'll see what they can do with three straight home games. Hopefully, they're able to turn it around before those quick two non-conference games, Indiana and Penn State. Remember last year, by the way, UMBC played Maryland really tough in that first half mm-hmm. last season, if you remember. They talk about tempo. Uh, I think they're number eight in Kempom in, in adjusted tempo. So they may not be that great, they but really? they're going to push wow. the ball. They are yeah. they are going to push the ball. Jim Ferry yeah. wants to push it. Yeah, I, no, I, and, and you're right. Two things that really stood out when Evans hired Willard was, hey, we want to be an exciting brand of uh, – or we want to play an exciting brand of basketball. Not That just isn't full-court press. That's, you know, fast break, score, and transition. And, that, and then he also talked about playing a, a much tougher uh, non-conference schedule. And actually, as I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, he, he, the ratings adjust after every game that's played. So they're they're constantly moving. UMBC number two in the country in adjusted tempo. So maybe them running will force Maryland into a run and gun game and get them moving in transition a little more and get them out of the gutter when it as it relates to uh, tr- transition offense. Maybe, fingers crossed, because mm. that's that's what I'd like to see more of in these next three games. Lesser opponents, so push it. Figure out. You, you know, yes, try some things in the half court. Push it offensively. Get running a little bit. That's what I want to say. No argument here. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna finish with football because there are some more positives, at least more positives than there were a couple weeks ago when we had losses to talk about a Illinois and Northwestern. Like I mentioned, five out of the last six games losses. Uh, they were able to pick up a win at Nebraska, a tough, hard fought win. We probably figured that it would have to be a hard, tough, hard fought win at Nebraska in November. Uh, but 13 to 10, they were able to win on a last second field goal uh, to earn bowl eligibility. Yeah. Uh, so just, just general general impressions over the last few weeks, Mike. Uh, well, defense and specialty. Look, you, you win a football game. You, if you win two out of three phases most times in that Nebraska game, it was defense and special teams that really came through. It was an ugly game, but it wasn't ugly as much for the defense and special teams, if at all. Uh, they played really, really well and gave the offense a number of opportunities there. Nebraska came in with a very good defense statistically. So offensively, it wasn't surprising. And given the struggles that this O-line has had, at least in running the football against better fronts, it wasn't surprising that they had their struggles. Um, as much as they did, that was a little surprising. But I will say the running game when they needed it the most came on that final drive that led to the field goal. Henby had a number of big runs in that one. And uh, Jack Howells, who got uh, Player of the Week special teams, and Tarheeb's still a defensive player. So they won the two out of three. They ended the losing streak. It wasn't pretty. First win against Nebraska. You'll take it. Um, you know, Michigan, look, I, I was there for that game. The only game I missed at home this year was Penn State. Where's that Maryland team been? The same you could say with Ohio State. Where Where has that Maryland team been against even a Nebraska a Penn State and Illinois and Northwestern. And, and and that's where, especially against the Illinois and Northwestern, had just salt in the wound. Like, guys, if you could play to this level against them, then you sure as heck should have beaten those two teams, uh, especially Illinois at home. Um, but even Northwestern on the road, although give the Wildcats credit. They're a six-win team this year. Nobody saw they that are. coming with all the controversy they had. But, Zach, again, and I say this, as good as 
Talia Tungabailoa has been from a statistical standpoint. He also has made in big games, at least, at least one, if not two big mistakes. And that will be, unfortunately, the downside to his career and the reason why he doesn't have a signature win. And there were three turnovers in that game. And maybe you could argue on the one late in the game, Sandra Strill, you know, just made a great play, you know, as a, maybe more of a one-on-one there. Okay. The other two, though, certainly hurt. And if you look at the turnovers, I mean, that that really killed Maryland. Now, I will say this. I thought that the intentional grounding, I know on the one hand the way it looked, but he had pressure. He couldn't get everything into that pass. It was an arm throw. There was a receiver in the area. The ball fell quite short of that wide receiver. And, you know, maybe it's the Maryland guy and me saying, you know, they. I just at that point the, with the way – the game was going. I wish the refs had not called that there because it's not just intentional grounding. It's a safety and Michigan gets the ball there. That really hurts them there. Um, but you look at the offsides penalty on the punt where they would have had the ball at the 35 yard line after the return, but offsides, the second punt ends up going down to the half yard line. Um, and that really, again, that's been an issue all year, Pen- bad penalties and turnovers. So you take a look at this game and, you know, that that's what really did in Maryland. And here's the thing. And I was sitting next to Chick Hernandez, uh, who works for Channel 9 now and used to work for Comcast Sportsnet and a really good D.C. sportscaster, got a start at Maryland, a Maryland grad. And, you know, we, we talked about the fact that, yeah, OK, Michigan's got better, better players generally, especially in the trenches. That's where it, it really stands out because the skill guys made some big plays in that game. But you'd like to see if Maryland really minimized the turnovers and the penalties. Where would they stand, Zach? And I don't think there's any question that it would be a team that probably has another win, if not two. And so that's the thing. We could talk about, well, there's a talent disparity, especially in the trenches. Yeah, that's true to an extent. But if this team was much better in protecting the ball and not committing stupid penalties – where would they be, and how much would we be talking about a talent disparity at that point? I'm not so sure that we would be talking that much about a talent disparity. Maybe there's the talent there, and they're doing themselves in as much as, yeah, they, they could use another four- or five-star guy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look, at, you look back to the Ohio State game, and you look at this game, and the difference is those turnovers. Both games were within seven points. And you're just looking at turnovers. This game, Talia was responsible pretty much directly for 13 points. If you include the safety on the intentional ground, I'm of the same opinion as you, where I I hated that call in that scenario, and I don't know that that gets called if it's Michigan. Yeah, just gonna say that. And there were some people talking about that too. I don't I don't disagree with that. That I just with the way the game's going, and I just that, that you can't call that there. You can't do that now. You know it's. It's not like a ref, I guess, is processing all that, but pick up the flag. You know, okay, you throw, pick it up, pick it up. Yeah. But yeah, look, three turnovers by Talia. That last one that you mentioned didn't end up in uh, points for Michigan, so not huge. Um, And at that point, I believe it was third down, and and they got the ball at, what, their own 42, 43. It was basically like a – or Maryland's 42, 43. It was like a short punt. 
that one wasn't huge, but the other two were the fumble that resulted immediately in a touchdown, and then the other intercept, or other interception, the first one, which resulted in a touchdown, and they missed the two point conversion. So, thirteen points there. There, there's your win, thirteen points, and and obviously there were other things that happened in the game. But you look back to Ohio State game as well. You look back to last year's game against Michigan on the road, seven point difference. Maryland turned the ball over three times, including the very first play of the game. Right, which that one resulted, that one wasn't Talia's fault, to his credit, no, but he no, also had one. two picks. So, and, and, and I actually thought the one pick, I didn't think Turner had that pick. I thought I thought the that's ball a good point. <laughs> now, it was still in an area where it, it 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 was close enough that obviously Michigan got the call there, but yeah, I didn't think that was a pick there either. But yeah, that's it. it it's it's funny. It seems like in these games too, the the team that has the heritage, the tradition. They, they get the calls, you know, yeah. whether, you know, you can talk about that in another podcast. But. Typically, Maryland has to beat the other team and the refs in order to yeah. pick up a signature win. But yeah. again, they've got plenty of opportunities. Yeah. And yeah. this game was not decided by the refs in any in any way. Uh, this was all Maryland and it was failures. And, and you know, I, I've heard a lot about and a lot know, of successes. That's a, that's the sad thing is the offense. It is. Mo- the offense moved the ball. Yeah. Um, well, mostly in the air. Um, the run defense did a really good job of taking away any big chunk plays. You know, Blake Corum had that one play where the point of attack was stopped. He bounced it outside to the left, I think, for 14 yards. That was it. That was his biggest gain all day. You know, Edwards was bottled up. Um, um, Corum was bottled up. Uh, yeah, I, I think McCarthy had an off game, to be fair. And I, there were guys open that that I thought, not wide open, but there were guys that opened that I, I don't know why he didn't pull the trigger on. I don't know what was going on there with him. Um, but in terms of Maryland's run defense, as the game kept going on, that yards per carry went down, and they were not getting much there. Excuse me, the Maryland run defense did what they needed to do, and that's still, as crazy as it may sound, make J.J. McCarthy beat you uh, because they want to run the ball first and foremost. I'd still rather Michigan beat me in the air than on the ground. And uh, Maryland, you know, Maryland did that, but you know, they they aided them uh, with uh, with some of the turnovers, and and again with that penalty on the punt really hurt them. Yeah, I think they saw what Blake Corum did to them last year in Michigan, and they had some ways to combat that. I know one of the things that they had success with, especially early, was getting free rushers off the edge. They really dedicated a lot of guys in the box to stop in the run, and it worked. They were able to, uh, you know, Michigan's offensive line at times got huge pushes. But they were able to catch Blake Corum around the edge uh, before he even got to the line. So yeah, yeah, I mean, some they, positive they, they, signs they, there for sure. And how about yeah. Caden Prather? Caden yeah. Prather with two massive, really impressive. He's got some of the most impressive catches in the last five years, just from a purely aesthetic catch standpoint uh, that Maryland's had in the last five years. And uh, yeah. you know, it's a shame to waste a lot of that stuff. And you know, if, if this was a one-off game that they weren't able to get, but we're talking about three or four or five games over the last two three years. Maryland's been right there, and they can't finish. Yeah. And it's discipline, inability, inability to hold on to the football. And look, it's going to cost Talia. You know, you, you alluded to his legacy at Maryland. He had a chance to go down as maybe the best quarterback in Maryland history. He picks up one or two of these wins. Statistically, he's got all the records, but he doesn't have that signature win. So you're yeah. looking at, at other guys. And numbers aren't numbers aren't everything. No. Now, look, even if you take, even if you take away the sack yardage from Tunga Bailoa. I think Maryland with 59 rushing yards 
that's not now. I I know Edwards had four carries for three yards. Those were on quarterback sneaks for touchdowns there, and he had three of those, um, which he I think matched C.J. Brown against JMU back in 2014. I think the <laughs> record was. But look, in terms of the rushing yardage, though, it's just they got to have more than that. But if you take away Tunga Bailoa's minus 43, I think they ended up with 59 yards. You need you need more than that, and and three point two yards per carry for Roman Hemby, two point four for Colby McDonald, Antoine Littleton, two point three. It, we understand you're not gashing Michigan's defense in the run game, but you've got to get more yardage than that, and you've got that average has to be a little bit better, and that's where sure could Maryland use a really good four or five star offensive lineman or a couple of four star offensive linemen? Yeah, yeah, they they certainly they certainly could. Yeah, they've really struggled to replace what they lost last season in Jalen Duncan, Johari Branch, Mason Lunsford, Spencer Anderson, all these guys that they lost. Um, they've really struggled. And we, that was a question mark coming into this year. How are they going to do? And to a point in pass protection, they've been okay. Um, but running the ball has been has been really bad. And, yeah. you know, they, they've still got spots on the line that they're rotating guys in and out, especially at the guard positions. Um, center has been has been a, a revolving door so yeah. that's what you need to get figured out for next year because you know we'll talk about over the next six months or so what we're looking at as far as the roster for next season and it's impossible to look at it right now with the transfer portal but regardless you're going to have a less experienced quarterback pretty significantly less experienced well, even if it is billy edwards so yeah. you need a running game, like a legitimate running game, not just one to take pressure off your quarterback. You need one that can get you 150, 160 yards a game, and they're not anywhere close to that. So they need to be able to hit the portal for some offensive linemen this offseason, and that's that's going to be a big job for Loxley and this coaching staff. You know, one thing that was interesting is we talked about this in the press box a little bit. You didn't see as many wide receiver screens in that game uh, as I thought there might be. And yeah. then there were some times where there was a series where they just, you know, on a couple of series where you thought they might call one and they didn't, or it was a, when they did call it, it was bad. It was bad timing, but I thought you would have seen more of those. And, and I guess, you know, certainly Loxley and his staff would say, well, well, some of those are an extension of the run, but we're talking about a traditional run game here. And that's, that's a, that's an issue. That's certainly an issue. And, and, and Zach, this may be out in left field a little bit, but let me just say something real quick because I know these are the kind of games where people talk about, well, there you go, Maryland and the Big Ten. You know, they had to go to the Big Ten and all that. And, you know, I've talked about the fact that I think there's so much in the way of misinformation and misunderstanding about why that happened that, you know, they were broke. They were desperate. It wasn't a money grab. But but let me just take a look. And I've talked about the ACC today is not the ACC that, you know, we remember growing up. But let me just go through some of these teams real quick and, and then – so, is Maryland beating uh, Florida State? No. 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 Are they beating Louisville this year? No. No. Okay. Um, you know, they beat NC State in the bowl game last year, but that was a tight game, right? Okay. So, you know, who knows? North Carolina, the last couple of years, that's a maybe. You know, that could go either yeah. way, you know, as you take a look. Miami, um, you know, even with Miami being down – that's I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a yeah that's a yeah that's iffy. A, yeah. I'm gonna say it's iffy. Clemson, you know, no. I mean, and again, I know yeah. Clemson's not the Clemson of old, but that that's iffy. Okay, now, you know, so I've I mentioned one, two, three, four, five, 
Oh, Duke. Duke's had top 25 teams for a while. So that's another iffy. That's, you know, six, right? And Virginia Tech, I know they've had some down years. So, you know, maybe you give Maryland the, the benefit of the doubt there. But you take a look at those are six opponents right there that you're probably not beating in a year. Now, well, and yeah. you want, if you want to throw Notre Dame in there, you got them too. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Notre <laughs> right because Notre Dame plays at least four games. Yeah. Right. So if they get Notre Dame that year. So I'm taking a look at saying, okay, so if you go back to the ACC and you go four and four, five and five, how is that any different than what Maryland's doing in the Big Ten right now? Yeah. No, I you're mean, right. Now, if you can make the argument that Maryland would go to the ACC – and you know, and I'm trying to think. Okay, I don't, I don't know in the ACC how many conference games, but if you could say, well, they go, we'll just say they play nine, like they do in the Big Ten, that they go seven and two every year, eight and one. You know, the worst they do is six and three. Okay, then maybe you can make an argument. But I'll tell you right now that you know, again, depending on the year, good luck. You're about doing the same, maybe slightly better than you would be than you'd be doing in the Big Ten. How is that a drastic difference? It's not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think the only thing with the ACC, there's more skill talent and less line talent, with the exception of a couple schools like Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida State, maybe Miami. I think there's, I think so. Th- in that sense, maybe you hold your own better. And, and we've maybe ta- I, yeah, I, I get that. And we've we've talked, but it's talk- very iffy. We've talked about that before. But I just, I, I think the point being is. The idea that if Maryland was in the ACC right now, that they would necessarily be running roughshod, I, I call a timeout and say, mm, no, they wouldn't. You know, well, yeah, they were in the ACC how many years, and they they failed to win more than six or seven or eight games, and, and they haven't well, done that since what oh three, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, the three the three straight winning seasons was 0-1. that's oh one to oh three, oh one to oh three. Yeah, I just uh, you know that that's the thing. Now they might say it would be more competitive, but I, I just look. Ralph, Ralph Freegan had his share of three, four win well, seasons, and that's yeah. that's and that's yeah. the thing. If people go back and take a look at the seasons in total, when they go take a look at the ACC, how it's currently put together, and I just think that if you are honest with yourself, maybe it's not all uh, wine and roses the way you th- you think it is. And to Maryland's credit, they got themselves when they're at the best, when they're better than Rutgers, they're better than Michigan State, they're better than Indiana. Um, they sure as heck the last two years have taken Michigan and, and Ohio State down to the wire. Why that hasn't showed up against Penn State, you know, you got me. They should have beaten Illinois and Northwestern. They're certainly capable of doing that. Um, you know, skill-wise, they should be better than a team like Iowa, but a team like Iowa and Wisconsin get them in the trenches. I, I You know, I get that aspect of it. Um, who am I missing? Well, Nebraska's working at getting better, but we did beat them this year. So I just, I, I just think that there's a, 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 a there's a, a thinking about that that I, I would just say you're making some assumptions that actually may not be accurate there. Well, and there's the money aspect as well. And you mentioned how broke Maryland was, and it was a necessary move. But even now, you look at the landscape of college football. Where else would you rather be? Maybe well, the SEC. 
than the Big Ten. The well, ACC yeah. is broke. Yeah. They negotiated a terrible TV deal, yeah. and now they're stuck in it for the. Ne- and Clemson and Florida State and even Miami want to leave, but they won't let them. Well, and, right, and that's it. Right, and that's the other know? thing too. No, I think you bring up a great point. And oh, the- you get Stanford and whoever that like. Okay, SMU, SMU now. Yeah, on. great. Yeah, yeah, so that's the thing. And look, I, I, I'm all about history and tradition, but first off. ACC is not the same ACC. The idea that you're going to go back to the ACC and go six and three, seven and two, eight and one in conference play every year because the big bad Big Ten is just too difficult. Um, no, I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. So just to reset a little bit, so Maryland six wins this season with a seventh, they would clinch their third straight winning season for the first time since 01 to 03. They will have a chance to win bowl games in three straight years for the first time ever. Never been done. Never won bowl games in three straight years. So we've talked about Mike Lyon. And look, this season has not gone the way that they wanted. No. But still, the floor is higher than it was. And Mike Loxley is going to be here at least another few years because of the state of his buyout. If he wins a game, if he wins this Rutgers game, there's another year through 2028 added onto his contract. And he's owed, I believe, 65% of a buyout of his remaining dollars, unless that changed in the extension. So he's here at least two, three more years. So he's going to have his opportunity to prove over the next couple years that he can retool after losing his first kind of influx of talent over these last five years. You're going to be replacing your quarterback, decent number of receivers. you got to figure out your offensive line. Defense is going to lose a decent amount of talent. So you have an opportunity now for a second wave of talent, and that's what we're going to be looking at. But at the end of the day, three straight winning seasons would be huge because it's something that hasn't been done here in a, in two decades. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I look, if they can finish strong with uh, – and Rutgers would be a quality win. They can finish strong with Rutgers and get a bowl win. It, it's not what we had hoped for this season, but they would have finished strong. They would have checked some boxes that, again, in terms of building consistency – that you would have liked. And it just, it, at least if you could have gotten Illinois, one of the two, Illinois or Northwestern, that make you feel a little bit better. But, hey, that is what it is now. But they still have a chance to finish strong, continue to build the consistency um, in terms of, of winning. Uh, and that's, again, people don't realize how difficult a job it was when he took over there. Um, but you're right. It, it, they're going to, beginning next year, especially the quarterback position, it, it's going to be a lot different. It's going to be a lot different. And, uh, we'll see. He's really going to be put to the test in the transfer portal and with uh, and with recruiting uh, at the high school level. Yeah, regardless of how this season ends, there's always going to be a lot of what ifs. If yes. they win seven games, it's going to be well, it should have been nine. If they win eight with the bowl game, it should have been ten. Mm-hmm. And you're always going to be thinking about what ifs, but that is what it is. Rutgers is not going to be easy. Rutgers is a very good team, especially defensively. They've already won six games. I think 10th best defense in the country as far as yards allowed, uh, especially their pass defense, one of the best in the country. Well, their and, offense and, and, is inept. Yeah. But, the, and the, now that I say that, I'm sure they'll score 40. But but their defense is what has won them six games, and that's Greg Schiano's specialty. Yeah. Now, I will tell you, their run defense over the last month has not been very good. Now, they yeah, played some good we, teams, though. So that's yes. and that's and that's a big don't get me wrong that's not insignificant there but the run defense has not been very good Maryland's run offense isn't great but Maryland ought to be able to do a little something against that but yeah their pass defense is very good 
uh, offensively, you're right, uh, Zach. They're, they're very one-dimensional. Gavin Wimsett has a really good arm. He's athletic, but he's not accurate. 49% completion percentage. Make him one-dimensional. Get him in second and third long situations and uh, make sure you maintain your rush lanes. And, um, you know, Maryland, Maryland should come out a winner in that one. Uh, but, yeah, right. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. Got to limit your mistakes, especially on the road. Well, that's the thing. Can't have three turnovers. But if you play your run defense the way you played it against uh, Michigan, you you ought to be in good shape. And look, Michigan, one of the best pass defenses in the country, and Talia threw for 247 yards. Yeah, I'd be... uh, Ohio State had one of the best best in the country, and he threw for almost 200, and they moved the ball okay. So I, I... I'm not worried about their pass defense. You have to worry just about Maryland beating themselves with, like you said, turnovers and penalties. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, think the line is Maryland by one in this game. Okay. So okay. Yep. Vegas is expecting a, a toss-up, which I think is is legitimate. This could be ugly. This could be like an ugly defensive Nebraska-Maryland-style Big Ten game late November. I don't know what the weather's going to be post-Thanksgiving, people hungover from Turkey. I don't know, but... <laughs> It's but funny this could get ugly. Say that. That's exactly how Steve Suter described the game uh, after the Michigan game on, on the radio network on Saturday. He said pretty much exactly what you said. This is like this is the way it's been the last couple of weeks. This is Michigan. This is Nebraska. It's you know it's run game. It's in the trenches. It could be ugly, and uh, you know they they've got to find a way. But again, if the run defense plays the way they're capable of, uh, then that's gonna that's gonna. Uh, put them in a really that's going to go a long way i should say and putting them in a good spot but it goes without saying that yeah the, the turnovers have got to stop and and that starts with talia himself yeah hopefully he's able to end his regular season at maryland on a high note hopefully they're able to pick up seven wins like i mentioned loxley would receive an extra year on his contract if they do that and it would be three straight winning seasons for the first time since 0103 so two decades so that would be a significant accomplishment uh, so be sure to keep an eye on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. we got articles up there, message board running for all basketball and football games, so be sure to join us there. And follow us on Twitter at TalkingTerpsBSL. Uh, for my co-host, Mike Popovic, I'm Zach Kiesel. Roll Terps. <laughs>